Hello, I'm Felix, and welcome to You Gotta Hack That, the podcast all about the security behind the Internet of Things. In this episode, I'm going to talk to you about lifts and escalators. Okay, so for those of us from across the pond, or any other region for that matter that doesn't talk British English, the fact is that lifts are the same thing as elevators. They go up and they go down, they take people and cargo. All right, so connected. Are lifts connected? Well, they've actually been connected for longer than most people give them credit. And that's because once telephones were around, it didn't take long for people to realize that instead of having a bell to try and get attention if the lift got stuck, you could have it so that it called a, a, a service desk somewhere and therefore be able to get someone to come out and, and fix the lift and, and free you. It then didn't take much further time before... Lifts started with the ability to report that they were broken, you know, they were stuck or, or, or whatever. Um, and you can see the evolution here when they became a bit more connected to the internet, not just over the mandated telephone line, but actually over a proper internet connection, that they were then starting to report more details, like how much use this particular lift has had and, and maintenance issues where they're able to be detected. But that's not just what's connected uh, on the, the lift uh, these days or the escalators. And just on that, lifts and escalators are, are quite similar in many ways. They're, they're, you know, they physically look a bit different, but they're roughly the same concept and they've got a lot of common ideas amongst them. So the technologies tend to have a lot in common too. For lifts, though, they're slightly more um, complex or they at least have the ability to be more complex uh, because they've got call buttons and the door sensors and, and web apps and, and APIs and, and all sorts of things these days which get them connected. So like call buttons and door sensors, for instance, there's there's examples of those being connected via Bluetooth Low Energy and they've got like AAA batteries in them. But there's also other versions which have serial communication, physical lines that go up and down the, the lift shaft. Now, the the idea behind turning those into wireless ones is you know is probably a few different things like if we don't have to lay cables that's good it's cheaper but also cables are subject to to breakage moving metal constantly is a, a surefire way to get uh, work hardening and then snapping of, of bits of metal the web apps and the APIs um, that's an interesting concept because. Nowadays, the really modern lifts, they are able to do all sorts of things when uh, you connect to them. And that's like in terms of maintenance, uh, you know, there's loads of stuff that happens in that front. In fact, there's there's reports of cameras being used to um, use AI and machine learning to identify parts that are wearing out and then for create uh, an alert rather than just wait for somebody to, to get back. But that clearly works both ways. If you've got cameras, then you can have people look at those moving parts without actually being on site. There's obviously the, the responding to trap people, including like video communications and that kind of stuff to, to make people a bit more uh, confident that they're, they're being looked after. But there's also stuff like the security of the lifts. Now, if you lock the lift to the ground floor, then that makes it very difficult for somebody to use it to get to a different part of the building. Um, and you can find lifts that have swipe cards that you have to swipe before you're able to uh, be able to um, move the lift. For that, you'll probably have to go back to last week's episode about RFID locks because there's a lot in common there too. And interestingly, what I've discovered is that there are reports of security teams within, say, a shopping center knowing that there's been a theft and that the person doing the theft has got into a lift and they've diverted the lift to a different floor where a security team is waiting to arrest them or to pick them up and then question them. 
slightly more controversially, I've discovered that there's references to people having smartphone apps uh, that are connected to their lift. So if you're a tenant in a big building, then you can call a lift before you even get to the lift. I find that a little bit troubling because I'm not sure that the risk is worth the benefit because those extra few seconds of being able to call the lift as I get there rather than, you know, waiting till I get there and then pressing the buttons, it doesn't feel like it's worth the the risk of having an extra whole load of attack surface area. But, you know, that's that's the way technology goes these days. One of the things I discovered that made me quite happy was that these like hyper-connected lifts, if, if you don't mind the hyperbole, is the fact that they have decided to do automatic software updates on some lifts. Now, this is by no means across the board, but given the state of software patching for the rest of operational technology and, and the Internet of Things, having this as like a market feature that they're trying to use to sell actually is brilliant. I'm, I'm very impressed that uh, the manufacturers have even thought about this in the first place. There's also loads of mechanical and electronic safety systems here, which I want to touch on because I don't want to freak and read out. This, this podcast could quite easily make people uncomfortable with tech, and that's not the point of this. Um, so in brief, there's about four kind of main areas of safety here. Controller, there's a controller system, right? It, it monitors uh, the uh, the speed of the lift car within the shaft. And if it uh, thinks it's going too fast, then it can change the, the power being delivered to the motor and, and slow it down or speed it up or whatever's required. Um, there's also like slightly more physical capabilities on uh, the, the motor itself uh, in the form of like a, an overspeed governor. And, and so I won't go into the mechanical bits about how that works, but basically it slows down the uh, motor by releasing the power if it's going too fast. Uh, there's also a mechanical or sensor-driven brakes. So the, the lift itself will have some brakes that will grab onto a bar or something that's running alongside it that's nice and solid, and it will slow itself down using that. Um, I'm a little bit less keen on the sensor-driven brakes because ultimately, you know, cyber is a thing, and, and therefore if it's sensor-based, then it can be probably tricked. That's going to take a lot of effort, I might add, but, you know, it's, it's a possibility there. Um, and finally, there's shock absorbers at the bottom of lift shafts, generally speaking. So if they are going a little bit too quick when they get to the bottom, well, you might well fall over, but you're not going to get seriously hurt or anything. I always try and talk a little bit about, you know, the why bother hacking this when we're talking about different subjects. And, and this is no different. However... There's a few bits here. There's not as many as most people might think, uh, but like denial of service is a thing. Why would you want to stop people from using a lift? Well, there's so many different reasons, you know, disgruntledness and all that kind of fun stuff. But essentially, denial of service is a possibility. Um, there's a bit of a, a subjective one, but people think of lifts as being relatively benign. So I guess, you know, you could argue that some people find it amusing to, to hack a lift and then make it do something it's not supposed to that's clearly going to be subjective. And if you're on the inside of the lift, probably less amusing than if you're on the outside. Um, I guess you could trap somebody um, and that's either, you know, like a targeted attack or an untargeted one. You know, if you're just spraying it across the internet and saying, well, actually, you know, next time you've got somebody and the car's moving, trap you between more than one floor and therefore you end up with somebody who, who gets stuck. And that, that's mean, I guess, at the best of times. But if you wanted to do that against a particular individual, then you'd have to do that in conjunction with several other tasks like social engineering or something like that. And then you've obviously got the stuff that's, you know, born out of horror movie ideas. Um, 
I would say that these are pretty unlikely, but not impossible. Um, I, I don't know enough to be able to say well actually this is how i would do that particular attack and uh there's hopefully enough protection in place that this means it wouldn't be a problem but in theory that is a thing unlike most iot lifts have a blend of iot and operational technology or ot tech and that's uh, an interesting feature for, for this podcast, at the very least. There's lots of lifts that use something called Modbus, uh, and in particular, Modbus over TCP. Um, so Modbus TCP is uh, dated back to about 1996. Uh, but the earlier versions of this, which were like serial comms stuff, really, really basic versions, go back to about 1979. So when you think about that, the rest of what I'm about to say is not that surprising. It's also known as MBAP, so Modbus Application Protocol, and it's a fairly flexible bit of kit, but essentially what it does is uh, allow you to access the registers or the memory of a device over a, a cable, and you can either access it to read it or access it to write it, but it's really simplistic, atomic-level data. It's not very exciting. It's not like an essay or, or a podcast. It's literally the number one in that memory location there. You get two main forms of MBAP or Modbus, uh, and that's unencrypted, which is on TCP 502, or encrypted on TCP 802. Um, and this technology is absolutely more commonly associated with industrial control systems. And in particular, when people think about Modbus, they actually tend to think of like refineries or the other large industrial kit. There has been an evolution some years later of MBAP being MBAPs with an S, and that's because they decided to try and do some form of authentication or cryptography on there. The standard, as it stands at the moment, uh, requires TLS 1.2, uh, uses X509 certificates at 2048 bits, and can support things like mutual TLS. And on the surface of it, that sounds pretty good. Um, you know, there's there's going to be flaws there, probably, but it's a hell of a lot better than a totally unencrypted communications channel. And there's other details as well. There's um, there's things like RSA key exchanges, AES block ciphers, 128-bit CBC mode with a SHA-256 uh, message integrity code at the end of it, and, and various other things, which are actually, you know, pretty good. There are a limited set of other types of ciphers and, and modes uh, of those ciphers, um, but they're also required by the specification to provide RSA null SHA-256, which is not anything that you'd normally see on a network. What this means, though, is that the communications itself is sent unencrypted, but it's signed, it's digitally signed as a form of authentication. So that means it's authenticated but not encrypted. And I'm not really sure why this would be beneficial um, if you've got TLS going on and you're you're doing all of the right things by authenticating that communication, then it shouldn't make too much of a difference whether it's encrypted or not. The only thing I can think of that might well impact this is that some devices just don't have enough resources to, to do cryptography in a, a meaningful way so they can just about cope with doing the authentication but not the encryption overall. I've also seen arguments online where people seem to think that Modbus security, this, this encrypted version of it, is a bit pointless. And I sort of agree. Um, however, the arguments I've seen online tend to focus on the fact that nobody's doing it, uh, it's hard to do, 
uh, and therefore it's not likely to be successful. Um, but in my opinion, that's not the same as it being pointless. That just makes it hard. What I think is maybe a little bit redundant about this is the fact that it's such an old technology and it's so feature limited and PLCs are uh, getting ever more complex. They probably deserve a brand new protocol and there are alternatives out there. So I kind of get it from that point of view, maybe choose a different tech rather than make this tech better, but it's not the same as saying that there's no point at all. Unfortunately, the people who say there's not much point because nobody's using it, they're kind of right there because there's a lot of implementations of Modbus that just don't use anything like good security. And this is particularly the case where it's a safety critical system rather than a security critical system. So um, think of like vehicles. They, they don't necessarily use Modbus. They use like Canbus instead. But the concept is the same idea here in that if you've got cryptography, it adds layers of complexity and overhead and delays and that kind of stuff. And so it's more likely to fail or be really slow when you need it to uh, get a message across urgently, you know, for a safety critical reason, like your airbag needs to go off. The timing of that has got to be absolutely precise. And you can see why that would be not very attractive for something like a lift, which needs to be safety first, then security second. It's an interesting debate, and I don't have enough time to even get into the uh, the ethics of all of that, but you can see where that's going. So what are the vulnerabilities here then? Because I've, I've said, you know, Modbus is not a great protocol. Well, as far as communication security is concerned, it's basically all of them. Um, you can do whatever you like to the traffic, and you don't even have to interact with existing traffic. You can just spawn up new messages and that kind of stuff. As a, a bit of a note here, before I get too much into the, the depths of this, please don't go out there and then just start spamming random traffic to a Modbus device or even do like things like port scanning, which you'd kind of assume would be fairly like safe and, and not a problem. Unfortunately, there's loads of examples online of, uh, of people breaking uh, Modbus devices, you know, PLCs at the other end and making them crash just by doing a port scan. So you do have to exercise a bit of caution when you're doing these sorts of assessments. Essentially, though, if an attacker is on the same network as the lift, um, the, the PLCs and, and that kind of stuff, then it would be quite possible for the attacker to send unauthenticated, because there is no authentication, uh, commands to the lift. And so long as it understood that it was talking to a lift rather than, you know, uh, I don't know, a fire sensor or something like that, then you could tell it to go to the wrong floor or to exit the you know, using the wrong door if it's one of those lifts that's got two doors and so therefore you'd get out on the wrong side or not be able to get out because it's a concrete wall in front of you um, you can get it to do emergency stops or you could maybe get it to persuade the the lift of the the controller that the lift was actually in uh, the a, a different position within the lift shaft and so therefore get it to, to move perhaps a little more quickly in a different direction than it's supposed to but it's not necessarily trivial to be on the same network as a Modbus controller and, and the other PLCs, or at least it shouldn't be. It's often not that straightforward. Now, traditionally in a building, what you'll find is that that sort of device set will be on a, a segregated network. And that's because people don't want it to break, not so much because of security, but because if they uh, accidentally get the wrong traffic going to it, then it might well fall over. And that's, you know, that's good enough, I guess. It does the security job as well there. Um, 
but what this does mean is that that network might well actually be for all operational technologies. I've been to super, uh, shopping centers rather before now, and they've had such a network where there's been loads of random operational technology on the same network. And it doesn't take much for you to gain access to that. You just have to work at one of the companies that provides servicing to any of those devices and, and suddenly you're on there. So I could look after the big television screens advertising at us and be on the same network uh, as the the lifts. And therefore, it doesn't take much for me to be malicious and do something else on a different bit of operational technology. In many ways, though, like I said at the very beginning, Having segregation, whilst it's definitely a requirement for doing good security around this sort of technology, it might be a little bit redundant or irrelevant these days. And that's because of the, the like hyper-connected lifts, escalators that we're getting these days. And that's because they're connected to the cloud uh, and to smartphones, to building management systems, uh, to the Bluetooth connections and other types of technology. And so there's just an enormous amount of attack surface area here. So it might not need me to be on a uh, like a semi-traditional network that allows me to do TCP connections. I could maybe just hop onto one of the devices using a, a Bluetooth connection and then therefore be able to pivot and do a uh, like a, a Modbus attack via Bluetooth. It's not beyond the realm of possibility, although there's not a lot of like public tooling in that sort of space. So what do I think? Well, I think that Modbus um, attacks would be relatively likely to be a targeted type of attack. Uh, and that doesn't mean it's not possible. You know, there's actually examples of, of Modbus being published on the internet and, and freely available. You can do things like look on Shodan and, and identify Modbus devices. That doesn't necessarily mean lifts because Modbus comes on loads of different technology, but, you know, it, it's that sort of thing. Um, I'd say that it would have to be an experienced attacker. Uh, and that's because it's an unusual bit of technology. You don't tend to start life as a, a hacker or a, as even as a penetration tester looking at Modbus. You tend to look at Windows networks first. That's not the same as saying it would be hard, though. I just need to make that clear. Because that protocol, if you were exposed to it, is so simplistic in terms of like the structure that you need to send it and, and that kind of thing and, and the lack of any authentication, um, that doesn't make it very difficult to do so long as you know what you're doing. It's just a knowledge barrier. That's, that's basically it, and hopefully some segregation. But then there's loads of other technologies, and I think... Lifts and this sort of tech has gotten away with having the armadillo model. So that's the kind of hard, crunchy outside and soft, gooey inside version of security. Um, and that's you know delimited by having segregation and a firewall and that kind of thing. But these networks don't tend to have any other sorts of firewall uh, security tech beyond that firewall. So, you know, like the, the intrusion detection services or like monitoring and logging and that kind of thing, which is more prevalent in normal IT networks these days. So if I were to pierce that outer shell and uh, use, say, a Bluetooth connection or a smartphone app or something like that to be able to access it, then that would be potentially quite problematic. Thanks for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, please give the show a rating or review in your podcast app, tweet about it or post it somewhere. We'd really appreciate it. Whatever you do, make sure you tag us. To talk to us about any aspect of the show, suggest a future topic or to ask a question about IoT security, please get in touch via email on helpme at yg.ht or with at goddard underscore hack via Twitter or by searching you got to hack that on LinkedIn.